Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. LA Opera is proud to share this special conversation recorded on November 9, 2015 between renowned opera artist Maria Ewing and Michael Hackett at UCLA. Throughout her remarkable career, Ms. Ewing has astonished audiences with her searing performances in both soprano and mezzo-soprano roles. As one of the early leading artists at LA Opera, she spoke with Dr. Hackett as part of LA Opera's Oral History Project to discuss her career, roles, and a life in opera. So Maria Ewing, thank you very much. So where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and that's where I grew up. And what is your first memory of an opera? When the uh, Metropolitan Opera Touring Company, I think it was called at that time, uh, came to Detroit and performed La Boheme. And we, we went to see that, yes. And how old were you? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know, 14, 15, something like that. And do you have any <laughs> specific memories that you can share? <laughs> Anything? <laughs> yes, that we overdressed. <laughs> that I remember very well. Uh, actually, before I'd seen uh, this opera, uh, my mother brought back some recordings from Holland. And those had a profound impact, and I was much younger. I was a small child. Should I go into that? Or? Yes, please. That would be very interesting. And uh, one was of Caruso singing, and I knew nothing about any of this. You know, it was all, I was really a small child, maybe eight years old, maybe younger. And that had a profound effect upon me. And also there was an orchestral recording of... Uh, uh, Ernst Ensermé in the Suisse Roman playing, uh, oh gosh, the bolero on one side and L'après-midi d'enfant by Debussy uh, on the other. And I would listen to this record. We didn't have many records at all of, of the classical nature, although my mother was European, my father was classically trained and all of it, but we, we simply didn't have many recordings to hand. Well, I don't think a lot of people did at that time, you know. And I'd listen to this recording just alone in a room, putting on the little record player, and I was immediately drawn to 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 it. And it's just a connection you can't explain. Anyway, that's how it's all sort of. So, what, do, so you say you can't explain, but was it the sound yeah. of the music that seemed different to you, or what? Everything about it. Yes. The the the, the melody of it, the uh, uh, the atmosphere. It was all in encompassing. I, uh, d when do you remember uh, a voice coming out of you? <laughs> ah, well, I, you know, my sister Frances was was uh, a singer uh, at school. She didn't go on to become a professional singer, but she had a lovely soprano voice, and I I wanted to be a pianist at one time. That was my sort of passion was to play the piano. Um, so I'd accompany Frances, and then we'd sort of sing through, uh, you know, very badly and, and um, incomprehensible Italian, the uh, duet from Butterfly, you know, just sort of just go at it. And my mother uh, turned, she was listening, and she said, you, you have a voice, she went. And I felt a little rather, uh, I was, well, as if to say, you don't think I can play the piano? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I sang really just for myself, as it were, and I think that's what singing really is about anyway. Yes. Um, so I would sing just, you know, just songs, perhaps a popular song or so, whatever it may be, but it was the text, the meaning behind it that always appealed to me. And at about what age are we speaking oh, of? Oh, very young. Yes. Uh, but at the time when your mother said you had to have a voice. I was about 14, yes. again, this, this sort of age group, yeah. So 14, then if 15. we go back to your attendance of La Boheme, do you have any, besides overdressing, do you have any <laughs> specific um, sense of uh, what, what that was about? 
Well, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, y- you know, I think when you're destined to do something later on in life and you're you're introduced to it before you have experienced it, there's already a, a connection of some sort. And I did feel that. I just, I knew that there was something, something, but I couldn't tell what. I had no idea I would end up being an opera singer. But there was, it, it was just one, it was, well, of course, La Boheme is a, is a wonderful piece to in, introduce anyone to, whether they go on to have a professional life or not. It's, the, it's sort of the perfect opera, dramatically, musically, everything about it. How okay. old were you when you first started studying opera? Hmm, 17, 16, 17. So you were still in high school? or you yes, were, yes, yes, yes. And it was very much... Uh, well, a friend of a friend of ours who was uh, a, a, who was a singer in the in the choir was very close to Francis, my sister Francis, and he used to come to the house and and we'd all sort of just sing or you know make music and this kind of thing. Anyway, the word got out to the choir master at school, Therese Bro, at Finney High School, that uh, you know I, I had a voice, and I remember standing at my locker school. And I got this tap on the on my shoulder, and I turned around, and it's Mrs. Bro, and she said, pointed a finger at me, and she said, "You're in the choir tomorrow." <laughs> and I was, I was rather nonplussed. I didn't quite know <laughs> mm, who's done this. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, she was an absolutely wonderful woman and very instrumental in uh, introducing me to my first voice teacher. Uh, and that came about because when we were in the choir, long story short, my sister became head of the sopranos and I was the head of the contralto section. Wow. Um, and then there was a, a, a Mozart piece, what was it, um, that my sister Frances was going to sing. And she developed, I don't know, some sort of fear about it. I, it's, a little, it's a little difficult to talk about Michael because it is my sister. But she, um, she just couldn't do it. She was afraid. Something came over her. And so Mrs. Bro said, Marie, I want you to learn this and sing this. And I thought, well, you know, it's a soprano part, and I don't know if I can... I sort of, well, I had sort of both voices, I guess. It's always, it's always difficult for anyone to pin me down and say, what, what is the voice? So I ended up singing this, Michael. And then Mrs. Bro put me into a little singing contest. And uh, my first aria, I, I chose Adieu Forêt by Tchaikovsky, if you can imagine, um, and won that. And then she introduced me to Marjorie Gordon. So that's how my first voice lessons came about. And I was about, yeah, about 17, 16, 17. And the following year I sang Barbara Seville with the Detroit Opera. Don't wow. ask me the how, but yes. Uh, that's, that's and then later, about. later, but in that period, you had two uh, uh other noteworthy voice teachers, uh, at least I've read Jenny Terrell and also mm-hmm. Eleanor Stieber. Could, could that came s- much later. Oh, is that, that later? That yeah. was much later, yes. That's when I left Detroit. I left Detroit when I was 18, and I went to Cleveland. And the reason I went to Cleveland was because uh, the summer of that particular year, James Levine was performing um, at the Meadowbrook School, and Mrs. Gordon my Marjorie Gordon, my voice teacher, wanted me to audition for the part of Maddalena in Rigoletto, which he was doing with Jan Pierce and Roberti Peters and Cornel McNeil and Ezio Flagello. That sounds like a classic cast. It, it <laughs> certainly was. I mean, that's a that's a whole other era. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I, I, you know, I really didn't know Italian, but I understood the word somehow. I, does that make no? It doesn't make any sense, but you'll see what what I mean by that. Um, <clears throat> when it came to the actual audition, and he was auditioning, Jimmy was with Pierre Bernard, who was a, a sort of singing uh, a, a expert and wrote books about uh, vocal technique, etc. And just before I went in, 
I remember thinking, oh gosh, I don't, I don't want to do this one. No, no, no. So I nearly took my name down from the list, but it was, it was too late. <laughs> and in I walked, and Jimmy looked up with the, the classic towel across the shoulder, and he, with his flashing blue eyes, and he said, Madalena? And I said, yes, and I, I sang it. And he got very, very excited. And he said, well, the, the Italian is, is awful, but it's, it's wonderful. You, you know, we can work on that. And um, he was excited by my sort of interpretation of what I didn't understand but understood. Right. So that's how that started. I sang uh, Madalena, and uh, then a friend who was there at the Meadowbrook uh, School, it was a wonderful uh, summer uh, sort of festival, and I met some people there who, who and one was um, Mary Michael Earl from Oklahoma, and she uh, was already attending the uh, Cleveland Institute of Music, and she said, you know, you must come there. You must. I work with Eleanor Stever, and and you know, and so all this sort sort of just evolved in this way, and or Jenny Terrell, and so it, that's where it sort of started, and I went off to Cleveland. And worked with uh, with I fr well first of all I was driven to New York by a friend and I had sprained my ankle I remember being on a some sort of crutch or something we drove she drove me to uh, New York <laughs> and I sang for Eleanor and when I sang and I sang Non più mesta from La Cenerentola by Rossini uh, her mouth sort of dropped open <laughs> she just. You know, and I'm sort of, you know, just just doing what my, you know, abilities tell me to do. I had no particular, uh, in other words, the, the focus was upon doing the job well, doing right. it well, learning something, not being famous or not all that stuff. And so it was a wonderful uh, link uh, to the path that took me from... Uh, Cleveland to then New York, where I worked with Jenny Terrell, um, and that was because we we went to Aspen and I met uh, Jenny Terrell in, in Aspen, so that's how all that sort of started. Now, when did did you first come to Los Angeles? Not the Los, even the Los Angeles Opera, but right. did you make any trip to Los Angeles before that time? Yes, with James Levine, and from the days when Ernest Fleischmann was uh, uh, running the uh, L.A. Philharmonic. Um, and, I, you know, Michael, I'm trying to remember what was the first piece that I did. It may very well have been, because I haven't thought about this for a very long time, I think it was the Mozart C. Marinelle, which we did with Kathy Battle, beautiful Kathy Battle, and I think it was that, but I know I did some concerts with Jimmy. And so that would have been at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Yes, yes, yes that's right. That's right. Little did I know. And of of course, uh, you did Salome at the Royal Opera, a very famous production in 1992. Uh, but do you remember what the discussion was or anything about how Salome arrived in L.A. to be in the first season? L.A. was the first. Was, oh, LA was it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, of course it was, 1986, yes. Yes, that's right, and it was Peter Hemmings. Right. It was his vision. If it hadn't been for Peter Hemmings, that never would have happened. And I give Peter credit for the that very important uh, pivotal moment in my professional life singing that role. Well, this is fascinating. So Salome, then, the production in 1986, was commissioned as part of the first season. Yes. Well, quite, that's quite a, you know, that's a, that takes a visionary, and he was that. Peter Hemmings was that. He went with what he believed, and which, you know, I think to a lot of people were quite, uh, you know, amazed um, at the idea. Uh, and, but is something I will never ever forget, and it's the only production I ever wanted to do. I didn't. I wasn't interested in jumping into other productions of Salome. That was it. Um, what What are your memories of Peter Hemmings? Well, 
absolutely wonderful man. Very warm. Very strong in his in his uh, you know his beliefs and his opinions and but very based on knowledge. Um, he gave us a, a tremendous uh, amount of freedom, if you will, carte blanche, virtually. Uh, I mean, there was a great team here. There was Peter Hall, my ex-husband, John Barry and, and Liz, the designers. There was Liz Keane, the choreographer. It just all came together. And it was unlike anything I had done before, apart from perhaps Dialogue des Carmelites at the Metropolitan Opera, but Salome is Salome. You can't really compare anything on that scale to to anything else that I had done personally. Um, And Peter, I I received a phone call one day. This is how this all came about. I'd sung a concert with Claudio Barro uh, a few nights before. I think it was the Albenberg der Wein or I'm not sure which. Um, and Peter, the phone rang, and it was Peter Hemmings, and he said, you know, I, I heard your concert, and he said, I hear Hot Salome in your voice. And I was sort of, I didn't, it was a little bit of a frisson, I didn't quite know what to say. However, having said that, Michael, a, a few weeks before that, some, I don't know whether it was the Opera in Paris, but somebody called me from Paris wanting me to do it. And for some reason, I just didn't take it, it didn't have enough, I didn't, it didn't phase me like the conversation. It was if, as if Peter's uh, invitation to do that was the one, and fate somehow knew that. Um, and I, you know, was, I was amazed. And also another another thing that is of interest when I was a, a child again. Uh, recording that, I think my sister Frances bought was of Ingeborg oh. singing the final scene uh, with a picture, you know, those albums that had those wonderful photographs and on, and it was there she's sort of kneeling um, to the, the head of uh, John the Baptist. And I remember that image just uh, photographically, it was, it was so strong. Um, and I listened to that piece, and uh, on the other side, I th- it was a perfido by Beethoven. Uh, of the few recordings we had, that was one of them. And little did I know that that's the part I would be singing all those years later. But it was Peter Hemmings. It was Peter. And I think he was he was very bold. But he heard something. And, you know, through a lot of... Uh, <laughs> it wasn't I didn't just jump and say, yes, I'll do it. I said, let me get the score. Let me take a look at this. And... Uh, so I did. I did that, and and uh, I remember getting to uh, getting to the scene with with uh, with John the Baptist and and going through that. And I thought, well, if one can sing those five or six pages, I think you can do it. And I knew dramatically it was very close to very close to me. Of course, I never uh, in my life thought I would be having uh, a private conversation with you for posterity. Oh. But but what struck me uh, amongst many things in the production uh, was the phenomenon of your lightness. You seemed to float physically in the space. And I remember at the end when you came for your curtain call, you clearly looked like a singer who had wrenched everything out of you. So your actual gravity seemed different. And I was very, mm. I was very. Um, I was very struck by that of how um uh she seemed to float throughout the scene and it seemed to be um what Oscar Wilde had asked for a kind of mm. diaphanous shining mm. presence uh was that just something that came through you or did you consciously think about that or Well that's very lovely of you to say and it's also um not something that um was was pre uh, preconceived or you know planned. There is a quality to that role that 
I think if you really and truly allow it and allow yourself to become it, there is a sort of transcendence that may sound heavy, but that is what it is. And that piece has that in spades. I've always said Salome was my favorite role to sing because of that. And it's it's a very complex character and I and as I've said many, many times, it is it is the Salome scene through the eyes of Oscar Wilde. Mm. And that's very important to to understand. It's not the biblical account, you know, which is not as sexual as this is and uh, or as complex. In fact, Salome is not really quite the... She isn't what she is in the opera. And so, yes, yes, you do. And, and she's there the whole time. And I did not want to leave the stage. I, I, I Presumably there are moments when, or one moment, I think, that uh, the singer can leave the stage and come back. But that that would have been completely wrong. You have to just stay within this world, which is so, at one moment, quite beautiful and poetic and sensual, and the other, the absolute most aberrant, almost decayed <laughs> sense of, 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 of uh, uh, sensuality and sexual passion. I mean, it's it's... <laughs> Heavy stuff. Uh, another thing that struck me is that uh, Yokanan actually looked like the Oscar mm. Wilde piece. I mean, uh, I think I saw it once. It uh, couldn't have been Seth Thomas because that's a tenor. But, I mean, it was someone mm. like that with the, a giant sort of heroic. Michael Devlin. It was ep- Michael Devlin. Wasn't it? And he was a thin, oh. Uh, oh. meaning he looked like Oscar Wilde describes mm. him as being the mirror of Salome. Mm. And... Um, <coughs> Very opposite. Uh, um, yes, I, I see. Yes, I could. as opposed to a craggy sort of you know smelly prophet mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, so Michael had this wonderfully uh, emaciated sort of look, and yet it, he was he was quite strong, but obviously you know d- driven to that sort of state by you know the constant. Uh, no effort on his part to ch- to change the world, to change everyone, to proselytize. I suspect it was uh, rather exhausting. You've you've mentioned some of the other collaborators, but is is there mm-hmm. anything you'd like to tell me about the rehearsal process, or anything oh, that you remember that yes. we should record? Yes, I think Peter Peter Hall was just superb, and you know, at first Peter was not sure about doing it. And I said, Peter, this look at this again. Think of this again. And he didn't, of course. He thought, yeah, absolutely, I must do it. What do you remember? What his apprehensions I don't, were? I, you know, I I don't re- I don't recall. I don't I don't think he was. I don't think he knew it as well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just as simple as that. He just wasn't as familiar with it as an opera. Perhaps the story. Perhaps he thought it was more the biblical story. Um, so I don't think he had. Uh, <coughs> He had seen it. I I don't recall him saying that he had. Um, He may have, but whatever that may be, he certainly, upon uh, you know looking at it again, uh, decided unequivocally, yes, this is this is something to do, and he was absolutely right for it. And we, with the first rehearsals, Peter had us all reading the text. The, meaning the opera libretto yes, or the re- actual re- wild? The, 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 the libretto. <laughs> the libretto. Me. Yes, yes. And that, because of Peter approaches as being a theater director, and really uh, that theater director, uh, and, and, Pete and the other directors of his, the other one I worked with who, who was uh, of the same world, both English, both of, the, of that school in Britain, was John Dexter at the Met. Yes. And, and so, the, so that was absolutely wonderful. And I remember everyone really f- identifying with their individual parts in a much more intense way than just coming and singing it in the in the in the German, but n- having a sort of vague idea, perhaps, 
in some instances of what it all means. When you stop and you read the text through, and that is the that is you, you're becoming it. It's becoming you. There's a whole different there's a whole different dynamic occurs, and that was wonderful. There was an electricity, and I do remember saying this, and I hope this doesn't sound too arrogant. I don't mean for it to sound arrogant, but I just said I I pointed my finger in the palm of my hands, and I said, Peter, we have this piece right here. I know it. I feel it. I know. I understand this. It just was annoying, annoyingness. Uh, well, it certainly is memorable for that reason. Everything seemed to come together in a way that seemed destined to come together. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that actually doesn't happen that frequently. <laughs> no. So. No, it doesn't. And so for those of us who live in Los Angeles, it is a very mm-hmm. memorable production. Well, thank you, Michael. And for me, my life, absolutely. And Liz Keene, the, the, the dance, the, Liz, oh, she was absolutely wonderful. She came to my house, uh, our house in, in East Sussex. <laughs> Never forget it. And we, I had a very large uh, drawing room there. It was about 30 feet long, so there was plenty of room to move the furniture back. And uh, Liz uh, you know, demonstrated some of her ideas, and I said, you know, Liz, I said, it's... I don't want this. I, I said it's it, that is beautiful. I said that's beautiful, but I think it's a little bit more about discovering herself, shall we say? And she went, "Oh, ah, okay." And brilliant. She is brilliant. She immediately that it, it, it understood what I meant by that, and what she came up with with was just I thought fantastic. And with the veils and all of it, and that's that's Liz. She's brilliant. She's brilliant at all sort of all sorts of movement. Peter used her a lot at the National Theater. She could do sword fighting for anything. You know, she was fantastic. So it was an amazing team of people, and we all got on so well. There was just this wonderful energy. Henry Lewis was a complex a character, I must say. Your conductor. Yes, um, we had a few moments, but I'll, I'll explain. Do you want me to go yes, into that? Yes, please, if you wish to. Yes, that'd be very he interesting. Came, when, I, when I first, you know, was going to now sing it and, and work through it with, with a coach, but I always learn everything alone. I never have anyone teach me the music. I will make mistakes in the process, and then they can correct those mistakes, but I will make those mistakes on my own first. So Henry was in, in England, and we went to Glyndebourne, we were we were allowed to use the green room there uh, because of the acoustic was a, l- a little bit better. And uh, so we went, uh, and I sang through it with Henry. And he was absolutely wonderful. He was a vocal coach, brilliant, brilliant. And he said, you know, Maria, this, this approach those notes in this way. You've not sung a part like this before. This is, uh, this is a, a different thing. And he was very helpful. Um, I, I think having been married to the wonderful Marilyn Horn, we never heard for his uh, knowing about about singers and technique and all that sort of thing. And he had wonderful ideas about it. But Henry was a very, uh, if I'm remembering now, uh, an ultra-sensitive man. Aren't we all? I was quite feisty in those days, <laughs> for sure. And singing a part like that certainly put me on edge. I wasn't easy to live with during that time, I can assure you. Um, so when we came to rehearsing, Henry was, well, there was some moment in which I, I don't know what was the matter with him. So I don't know, he just, it was perhaps a moment of insecurity because we all go through this. And it's all down to that. It's not, it's not for any other reason. And anyway, something stopped in the rehearsal and um, then... Later on, Henry came into my dressing room, and and I said, you know, Henry, <laughs> you are brilliant. You know, don't don't be your own worst enemy. And he just sort of tamed down. I needed that said to myself. <laughs> it was one to another. Um, but he w- he was a very talented man. I do think that Henry was talented, uh, and I thought he was right for the part. 
for the, the as conductor. So I'm trying. I'm just trying to. Uh, these, some of these images are coming back. I'm going mm -hmm. to the d back to the dance mm -hmm. for a minute because, of course, it was sensational. Was was there any um, was there any issue with the L.A. Opera of uh, the dance of the Seven Veils, or d did Peter Hemming say? Go for it, or meaning the fact that it was c mm. uh, complete nudity at the mm -hmm. the end, or the all seven veils were removed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, Peter had no no uh, qualms about that at all. Um, I think he realized that it was uh, an important part of of the dance. It wasn't meant for some sort of uh, you know effect and cheap effect. Right. It was a shock value thing. Um, I mean, taking your clothes off in front of the public isn't isn't the easiest thing to do, but when you're in the moment, you're not thinking of that at all. I wasn't at all in, inhibited in those moments to 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 do that, and it was it was much more telling of what of what she's experiencing in that. It's a, almost a, where it, trying to identify with something and not knowing what, and it so there's a there's a kind of purity. In it, and that's what I think. Um, because it's true to the um, the piece. Yes, and there, it's the, it, because it's frustration. It's utter frustration at the end of the of the dance. You know, it in, it starts out as something to to uh, you know to get Herod on her side, so to speak. But as it evolves. She goes into a, a world that has nothing to do with what, who's there watching or or any of that. It's a self, it's a self-expression, and I think that's that was achieved in that dance through because of Liz's understanding of it. And yes, it's quite. What was the climate like at the LA Opera? I mean, it was a new company, so you were entering into a group, a technical staff, a, an administration that was all new. Do you have any memories of that, what it was like to arrive in Los Angeles and to you begin know, working? You know, Michael, I, d I don't think I realized that it was all new from that point of view. I, I don't think I did. All I, I, what, I, what I remember is how wonderful everyone was. Was there... Chip was his name. Chip, who was. Oh God, what was his name? I don't know. Was he they on were, the? They were, yeah, I. He was. He came to collect me at the airport. Oh, he was, interesting. The, everything. Everyone was just wonderful. Well, you know, they you, they still do the L.A. Opera. Mr. and Mrs. Hemmings created mm -hmm. a support group of mm -hmm. local people who still greet the artists at the airport, who mm -hmm. bring them to their homes mm -hmm. and give them meals and if they mm -hmm. wish, mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. they felt that L.A. was a bit of a, at that time, you know, a foreign mm -hmm. outpost. Uh, it's now, <laughs> we're yeah. told if you read the paper in Berlin, we're one of mm -hmm. the hippest cities in the world. But, mm -hmm. but I think they felt at the time it was still a long way for some singers to come. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's what I always heard. Uh, yes. Um, uh, I can I sort of understand that in a way, but I wasn't thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting that you didn't ha really have any. No, sense. I I don't I don't recall. I, I I know that this production was very significant for Peter and for the, for the opera company to be taken more seriously. Yes. Um, I recall that because I was told that. Um, and I'm delighted that it was for Peter, and I think he took great pride in that. It meant a lot. That production meant a lot to Peter Hemmings. As a matter of fact, it was the last thing that um, I was I was shocked to hear that he was unwell, but he wanted me to do the production of the Savolina Festival in in uh, in Finland. Uh, he loved this particular festival. And that production was taken there. Peter was too, he was unwell, and he couldn't attend it. Mm. So he was very delighted, I think, when he heard that it had sold well and all that kind of thing, that it it um, it continued to, to have that, the significance that he, that was his initial vision. But everyone, going back to your, uh, your initial uh, question about uh, the 
company. I just remember it being absolutely wonderful, everyone there. And my dresser, Lynn Mann, was... I cannot say enough about Lynn Mann. And interestingly enough, my daughter has worked with Lynn since. Rebecca's an actress now. And Lynn was... She she done a lot of theater and work as a, as a dresser, and but for her to do this was, and Peter knew how after the the initial production how important she was, and she went everywhere that we did the production. It was Lynn. Um, she'd have my dressing room all, you know, with wonderful organic. Bits of food, energy foods, and things, all beautifully laid out. And at the end of the of the opera, she'd have the shower running, and I go straight into that shower. Lynn was she was just brilliant. I never never had an, a, a dresser like that in my life. And did your daughter work with her on a film or another yes, stage? Yes, she stage? did. I, or was it? Um, I think it was a theater. Uh, I think it was Shakespeare's. Was it as you like it? I'm not sh- All I have to ask Rebecca, but it was just so remarkable that all those years later, Lynn, you know, said she would do that with Rebecca. So there was just every- everything about it was wonderful. Uh, the um, uh, next piece you did was Cozy. And uh, is that a production that Peter Hall, ha- is that based on the production he had done at Glyndebourne? Or was it a new production? You know, Michael, I... That was his production. It was only being his production. Because I remember seeing Glyndebourne. a production at, at Glyndebourne yeah, of Cozy in perhaps 1978 or something. Oh, my goodness. Yes, that's when I met Peter, yes. And I thought it was his production. Well, yes, but yes. You know, that's true. Oh, yes. I mean, it was quite a year so let's mm. let's speak of Tosca because that was with Placido mm. Domingo. Oh yeah. And let me ask before we speak mm. of Domingo as a singer in that context, mm. was he, what do you have any rem- a memory of him being around at the beginning of the op- opera? Um in your during the Salome period, did he attend at all or do you remember? I I I don't recall, but I was told that he he was that he was talking about this on a talk show or something in very in very favorable terms mm. and um i don't re- i don't recall michael that he was there he may very well have been he certainly knew uh he knew about it and um he may have been because why how else could he talk about it in the way that i heard that he did <laughs> Yes. And he himself told me. So, so, hmm. so it's interesting. Um, I'm looking back. Um, so in, in 1989, hmm. um, you performed in Tosca, hmm. and he conducted. Mm-hmm. He was your conductor. Mm-hmm. But before that, I believe he also, because you, um, you sang twice, you sang Tosca, he also um, sang uh, no, he sang it the first time. He, he sang, sang it, it the first time. Yes, definitely, definitely. In nineteen ninety, well, I have I have nineteen ninety two, mm-hmm. where I I have him definitely singing here, but the, in mm-hmm. nineteen eighty nine I have him conducting. I mean, I'm looking at the I, programs, but no, I I I believe it's the other way way around uh, because Placido came to my house in Sussex, and went through the the opera with me. Um, which was wonderful, and but we sang it together. It wasn't. It was How interesting! Sang it. So, so yeah. what are your memories of him, both as a uh, singer and as a conductor? Oh, he's just marvelous. He's absolutely marvelous. Um, I loved singing that with him, uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, he's, you know, he's Placido was. Is a romantic, you know. He he just it's throughout his nature, everything is intensely romantic, and on top of which, he is a, a marvelous uh, musician and singer. Um, and there was such a wonderful rapport 
that we had was it was believable with Placido. It was it was believable. Um, and uh, that was another Justino Diaz was fantastic. I thought um, absolutely fantastic as as Carpia. Um, yes, I mean that's. And as a conductor, wonderfully simpatico. Obviously, he, he understands what singers are going through, and um, and he's very, very musical. He knows what he's doing. So, yes. The um, you know, it's interesting speaking of Tosca after S Salome, because one thing that has been distinctive uh, of your your career is that you've had a, a wide repertoire and I wonder if you could comment on that I mean you have sung things that some singers would not have sung to you, you know what I'm saying they would yes. not have sung Tosca and um, right. Salome for example and Carmen yes and, I, I, yes. Um, and that's and true I, even with what you've sung for the LA Opera which uh, which mm -hmm. I see as Salome Cozy uh, Tosca Madama Butterfly and mm -hmm. Fedora mm -hmm. it's an mm -hmm. interesting combination yes <laughs> quite um well as i as I said earlier in the conversation, Michael, I think there is always a sort of uh, a look of wonder as to well what voice are you and even James Levine thought that I think there was one point he thought you know you could sing Aida um it was just and Jenny Terrell, a classic sounds <laughs> with Jenny Terrell's response when I sang for her in, in Aspen, that's where I met her, and um, when a group of us, we were all part of this sort of group of James Levine's friends and musicians, and, and uh, I was the only singer in that group, and we and I had the great uh, uh, gift of going to, to Aspen uh, to hear Jimmy's concerts, and, and he bought me all these wonderful opera scores, and and I met Jenny Terrell, and when I sang for Jenny, um, she said, she looked and she said, are you sure you are a maid I don't <laughs> hear it. <laughs> and so she wanted me to sing, <laughs> uh, to learn Mi Chiama no Mimi, which I did. Uh, it was just this sort of, you know, and and it, and it and that's what it ended up being, a, a little of this, a little of that. In terms of things that felt right to you. That felt right, voice. yes, 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 yes. Um, That's also true in the song repertoire. Uh, do you have specific memories of um, uh, some of these other productions, such as Madama Butterfly or the Fedora? Mm. Mm, yes, yes. Peter was very, uh, Peter Hemmings, was absolutely passionate about my singing Butterfly. He wanted me to sing Butterfly. And I thought, oh, wow, yes. Uh, and I'm glad he asked me to do it. I'm glad he I loved singing that role. It was absolutely beautiful part. Uh, and Ian Judge was the director. He had directed um, a Tosca. And Again. I'm noticing that Mr. Mm -hmm. Domingo actually had one performance with you. Yes, that's right. And then he conducted. And then Jorge Pita had, uh, he had five performances. Mm -hmm. Was it Neil Shigoff, one of the, I think, Neil? Um, let me see here. I, uh, I'm yes, I'm I knew. not sure. Um, yes, let me see here. It's interesting to see these old programs. Um Yes, he was in Tosca, Neil Shikoff. Yes, that's r that's right. Yes. 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 So I have a I have a for Madama Butterfly, oh, as I said, one performance of of Domingo, and then the Pita he did uh, he did five. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm and um, Suzuki with Stephanie Vlahos. Mhm. Wonderful. And so, um, what 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 can you tell us about that Madama Butterfly, and why was Peter Hemmings, uh, why was he pushing you to do that, to do the butterfly? He just, he believed I could do it. He also wanted me to do Rondine, which I did not do. Um, but he he was absolutely 
convinced that that was a part I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of those parts that I'm sure some eyebrows were raised. Uh, but I, I, I loved doing it. That I recall. I, I loved singing it. Again, it's sort of the reason why I'm sort of hesitant in, in answering that be, is because and this has nothing to do with the production or that side of it. Um, but it was, a, again, a, not an easy time personally. Mm. So but, I lo- but I loved the produ- I loved being there and, and doing the production, and I felt happy about that. So um, what would you say your sense is about Los Angeles, meaning the Los Angeles Opera, as a totality, because you had uh, five different productions with revivals of those productions here in our city. So we feel very fortunate that that period in your life was invested in performing here. But do you have any general comment you might want to make about Los Angeles? Well, Los Angeles really holds a very special place in my heart. Um not only because of what that role did, what singing Salome for the first uh, time it did, but every every everyone involved in the productions, that feeling of almost a family. And a singer needs that. You need that feeling of support, a feeling that you are of the same mind the director, the conductors, the designers, um, the impresario of the house. So that it wipes away any unnecessary uh, conflicts that get in the way of, of things artistic. And I remember that very strongly. And, and to be able to do those parts there for the first time was extremely significant. So... When you went on to the Royal Opera in 1992 mm. to do the Salome, was that mm. that it was based on the Los Angeles production? Only the only production I've ever done. Mm. That was it, in, and I wouldn't do any other production. Mm-hmm. I was asked, but uh, no. So it was brought there. It was brought to San Francisco. It was brought to the Kennedy Center. Um, and it got quite quite a, a, a run. Actually. And I think we're fortunate mm-hmm. that that's recorded. Mm. So mm. At, at, uh, at Covent Garden. The Covent yes, Garden. The d- and there's yeah. a DVD of it, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. Right. I, I haven't seen it. I've never watched it. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. So you d- you d- mm. you have not watched That's no. always a question they ask in no. Hollywood. Do you ever watch your own? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen, like, little... little Tiny little bits, little one, you know, when a, yes. a friend says, "You must watch." And I'll go, "No, no, you're you're in a different mindset, and I and I you see it much more critically. Uh, you're not there in the moment, which is all that matters. It's not, it's not your reaction after. I think the memory of it, knowing that I did that, warms my heart very much." Um, I do realize it is quite an accomplishment. I do realize that, and I say that humbly and with gratitude for having had that experience. The um, Arm and Hammer Museum has a, a, a spectacular painting by Gustav Moreau of Salome, mm-hmm. and uh, I think with the head of John the Baptist, I can't remember. It's called Salome's Last Dance or something, but mm-hmm. they had a year-long um, series of smaller shows uh, all related to that um, a painting, and I went to a lecture and uh, indeed saw your last last scene from that. I hadn't seen it in years, but it was very exciting to see because they they showed that as part of the lecture of the many different um, sort of interpretations of uh, Salome. So it was exciting to see again, and I must tell you, it does it does hold up and it remains thrilling. So thank you very much. <laughs> that that thank might you. that may not get you to watch it, but. <laughs> <laughs> At least Thank you should you. feel happy that there's that document. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Is, is there anything that you might want to tell me that you feel we haven't uh, covered or something that 
you thought I might ask you that you we should uh, make right. sure is on the record? I think you've asked absolutely wonderful questions. I think we've covered quite a bit of, of, of ground. Um, is there anything else that you want to? I think um, I think you've given us some very wonderful things to to think about. And talking about your dresser uh, is especially um, moving and helpful because I think part of what we've tried to do with this archive project is to interview all sorts of different kinds of people, from mm -hmm. the people in the box office to mm -hmm. the the wig mm -hmm. makers to mm. to uh, people on the board who Absolutely. gave the money. So, so uh, to to chorus members, we've really reached out in many different directions. Well, that's marvelous. And uh, we also have, uh, we've also interviewed, um, I think, about twenty people or twenty-five oh. people who were um, uh, who were celebrating the twenty-fifth anniversary. And uh, it, it's interesting. So we have patrons as well, just including a husband and wife who met each other at Funchula Del West. <laughs> 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 sitting next to each other. Can you oh, imagine? Wow. They, they in two single seats. Isn't that something? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what so. it's about. You, everyone, it's it's a, it's a team. It's a team yes. effort, and well, you know, you can't do it without everyone else. Well, we're well, very we're idea. very grateful that you spoke to to us today. And now I have to do the official sign off, if you don't mind. Thank you very much, Maria Ewing. It's a great pleasure to speak with you. Well, thank you, Michael. All right. Say hello to Detroit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thanks, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.